and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And we're finally here. We are finally beginning the final season of this show. Season five, the big one. Yes, season five. It is, you know, it's it's upon us. We've got, we got a new intro. Uh, we have a new logo. And we have a brand new sort of dynamic that's been introduced to the show here with uh, with Horde Prime and the episode Horde Prime. Um, because, you know, Planetary Invasion sort of changes, uh, changes the pieces on the table. It kind of really just upends the table a little bit. The balance of power has been completely reversed. Horde Prime is not even anywhere near Etheria, like, at all. Uh, his forces are completely overwhelming the rebellion like we we open up here uh just kind of in media res with some some ethereans fleeing the horde bots as, as his fleet closes in adora uh you know obviously swordless back to using her preferred weapon of a staff as you might remember from the very very beginning of this show um she she prefers uh the bow staff over the sword and uh just you know kind of fighting off these horde bots yes kind of a kind of a classic quarterstaff situation and and speaking of the horde bots i did want to just like take a second and like talk about kind of the opening here which is like it, it looks really good you have this nice looks like, really really nice like map painting leading uh into uh the planet where you have like uh, the whole fleet kind of surrounding it and that looks gorgeous um and then the horde bots themselves are actually really well done. Like I think the the redesign that the show went uh, from sort of the eighties design because this is this is the first like you know traditional horde bot that we see is is horde prime stuff and uh, these are genuinely like pretty intimidating. Like the the old ones are pretty goofy looking, uh, but these are like you know they they're they're a little more angular. They're a little more like sporty these guys uh they're also just like sharper they they look like they would hurt to touch yeah so yeah obviously the 80s horde bots they're they're basically cylindrical uh, all the way down they are not intimidating at all the the new generation galactic horde bots they are sleek one arm is a giant cannon the other arm is a knife and yeah they're just like very simple minimalist kind of designs obviously all of horde prime's technology is powered uh, via the xbox 360 judging by the color scheme uh, that the galactic horde goes by uh, and the fact that he is clearly powered by mountain dew this is true the game fuel runs deep in the veins of all of horde prime's creations uh, which I mean, when when he talks about being bathed, when when they talk about being bathed in Horde Prime's light, they they really mean they really mean being being bathed in the in the holy glow of the dew here. Um, but yeah, so so Adora is is doing her thing, you know, she's feeling it. She's she's in combat. She's doing her her sort of situation. Um, the problem is she's not really. Uh, She's not really acknowledging her human limitations right now. Yeah, Adora has gone from being the, like, the the trump card of the Rebellion, the ultimate fighter, to kind of being the weakest one among them. Like, 
she's just a lady with a staff. Now, yeah, sure, she's got really good training. She's buff as hell. But, I mean, Mermista is over there drowning horde bots in torrents of water. Micah is, is, is slinging spells left and right. Like, she is in a very different place than what she is used to with the Rebellion. Yes, she is. She is for sure the weakest one out of all of them at this point. And she doesn't she doesn't really enjoy this very much um there's a point where she ends up actually getting wounded um you know she gets she takes a hit and she doesn't get back up the way that she's used to getting back up you know usually uh she takes a knock like that she's fine she stands right back up again because you know she's got like a little bit of like breathing room for from from sort of the the shira power up and uh, you know, and she's even like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going to get up in a second. And she tries to, and she just can't. So, you know, her mist has to come uh, save her. And she's like, listen, you know, like, I get it, but you're not she anymore. You need to, you know, acknowledge your limits. And Adora does not really want to talk about it. Uh, she doesn't want to hear that. So she just sort of lets that go in one ear and out the other before, like, running off while her mist is just like, oh, my God, what did I just say? Yeah, so we kind of get introduced to the the rebellion's whole situation at uh, at the start of this uh, this season. After, of course, Dora has an ominous, trippy vision of Shira. You know, th- you know, once again pulling on 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 Avatar here. This is the all of the bits uh, where with Aang, you know, confronting that big cosmic version of himself in the second season, right? The, the, the journey to the, uh, you know, the inner self, uh, which Adora is just not, not making any progress in at all. Yeah. Well, no, they're not even like barely even a single step. Uh, she is, she is unable to really, I don't know, reconnect with Shira. What is it? it's it's hard to tell what she's even trying to accomplish or what this even is. Yeah, at the moment, at the moment, that's true. Though I've got some thoughts on that. We'll get we'll get back to that a little later. Uh, for now, the uh, you know they're overwhelmed by the horde. She's having her she's having her uh, nightmare visions, and she wakes up inside of a secret wizard's camp. It seems like you know Bright Moon. Uh, was evacuated uh, in its entirety, and they've all sort of gone on the run. You know, you have basically all of uh, Bright Moon and then the, like, deer person village that is, like, just on the outskirts of it. Um, they're all, like, in a big encampment, and they're um, they're currently being hidden uh, by some wizards from Mysticore in, like, a big sort of bubble situation. Yes, and... Um... We should say the scene where Adora wakes up from her vision is a very direct kind of um, parallel callback to the very first uh, scene with her from the very first episode where she is uh, getting ready to start her day suiting up and all that, putting her jacket on, putting her horde badge on, that sort of thing. Uh, And of course, if you'll remember that scene, she's very peppy. She's punching that punching bag with Angela's face on it. Uh, All sorts of stuff. Here, um... The tone's a little more somber. She, uh, her hair is down. Uh, she, she still has the pieces of the sword, of course. She kept those, but they're completely inert. No, no, no spark of magic in there at all. Uh, she pulls on her jacket, ties up her hair, and just kind of walks out uh, to 
find a meeting in the t- in the tent where Shadow Weaver is back at it again. Back at it again. You know, you know what that means. Uh, her and Micah are kind of jockeying for control of the rebellion right now. They, you know, Bright Moon is in absolute disarray. The queen is not here. So Micah is trying to kind of take the reins, but Shadow Weaver is like, ah, yes, I was the advisor, is also trying to uh, take the reins here. And they disagree pretty heavily on how they're supposed to move forward. And Shadow Weaver naturally is like, listen, just because the heart almost destroyed the planet five minutes ago doesn't mean it's going to destroy the planet now. Yeah, and Remista makes a good point. It's like, okay, well, one, like, even if we did want to use it again, Glimmer and Shira aren't here, which means it can't actually activate. Um, luckily for the Rebellion, no one seems interested in listening to Shadow Weaver at this point. Yeah, because her point number two is also, like, even if we, like, could, we're not going to do that because it almost killed everyone literally, like, yesterday. Yeah, well, it's the time frame is a bit weird. Um, it's probably been a bit longer than a day, right? Like, they had to set this whole camp up and abandon Bright Mood and all that, so probably, like, maybe a week. Yeah, probably, I would say probably less than a week. It was probably, like, you know, like, four or five days. Like, they had to trek out into the woods and then escape a bunch of horde bots and set set all that stuff up yeah so uh you know ev- everyone is, is kind of groaning about all of this uh micah points out that thamor has come under attack again uh the the rebellion is hidden and horde prime has set up these gigantic towers all over the planet um their purpose is as of yet unclear uh, but they certainly look very ominous. Yeah, there's these sort of big screen tower situations just jamming themselves into the earth and sending out waves and waves of dudes. Um, and Remista's like, didn't we just save Thaymor? And Frost is like, no, that's Elbron. And she's just, just like, ugh, can, can everywhere stop getting invaded for like five minutes? No. Not at all. Promista's so good in this episode. Yeah, she's just so fed up with this endless space invasion. Like, yeah, the, here's the thing. Uh, they, they could barely keep up with the Horde once, like, Hordak was getting started with his with his big funny arm cannon and, like, really taking the, the territory control game seriously. This is just, like, an infinite wave of dudes that never stops. It doesn't matter if you, you like, liberate a town or whatnot. They're just going to come right back in. Yeah, and actually the thing about the arm cannon is kind of interesting because, like, uh, Hordak finally getting his, like, exoskeleton and arm cannon fully operational was, like, this really big deal. Like, that was, like, this massive, massive increase in the level of power and, like, force that the Horde was able to project and that, like, actively led to the fall of Selenius and, like, the Horde advance on Brightmoon and the Alliance territories. But, like, like you look at every single Horde bot, and they are visually designed to evoke the exact same image. They all have big arm cannons. They all have a really similar exoskeleton, like, skeletal design. Like, this is just that times a billion, billion, billion. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter how many you smash up, they're just gonna keep coming and keep coming, like... And and there's no real way to deplete Horde Prime's resources. So so they are going to go evacuate uh, Thaymor. Um, We should jump up 
to uh, to the ship, methinks. Yes, that's right. Because there is one other thing happening during uh, this camp scene. Uh, because as well, um, Entrapta is here. And she's trying to get the ship spaceworthy again. Which is no small feat. You know, getting something to fly around in atmosphere is one thing. But when there's no atmosphere, you do kind of need to make sure all those bulkheads are riveted in properly. Oh, yeah. So she, yeah, she's basically getting Mara's ship uh, together so they can go and find Glimmer in space. And the timetable seems to be, it's going to take a minute. Because as, as Entrapta impresses upon Bo and uh, Adora, space is, is very dangerous and can kill you in lots of ways. Yes. You know, cold, uh, ex- you know, just like being blown out of an airlock. It's always expanding. Radiation. Rays of radiation just zapping yeah, you. Yeah, space, space is not exactly a friendly environment to things that like being alive. Yeah, and of course, then there's the problem of they don't actually have any idea where Glimmer is, uh, but of course we do, because fairly shortly we cut to Horde Prime's flagship, which is not named in the show, but I will remind everyone, is called the Velvet Glove. Just a sick name, really. And we see Glimmer waking up in her cell, which just looks like the least comfortable place in the world. It's we- The cell design is really weird, because... It looks like it's got like a hospital. It, it's 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 really strange. So it is it is like like a hotel suite level of like the way that it looks. Like it has like a nice bed, and there is a lot of room to walk around. And I think there's even maybe like one or two pieces of furniture in there, if I remember correctly, like a bench or something. Yeah, there's like a chair. Yeah. So like this is like a hotel suite almost. It's very sterile. It's very minimalist. Yeah, at the same time, it's really clinical. It is extremely, like, a almost like a hospital environment at the same time. Like, a very ornate hospital. And it is also oppressively lit. This is the most lit room I have ever seen. You don't sleep in this room unless you are literally too exhausted to continue being awake. Yeah, like, it, it's just a horrible vibe in there, and Glimmer is obviously very exhausted. Uh, she tries teleporting out of her cell, but she can't call in any of her magic. Um, we see her calling out for for someone, uh, see if anyone is out there. Uh, there is someone out there. Yeah, there is somebody. There is somebody. Uh, Catra's kind of skulking around the corner, we sort of see her tail flick into, uh, into frame, and she's just sort of hiding around the corner looking at Glimmer. Like, not even really with, like, not not with, like, a sense of smugness or anything like you might expect. Just sort of this look of, like... She just looks kind of sad. Sad, yeah, but also, like, she's very unsure right now. She's very unsure of herself, I think, unsure of the situation. She's, like, this is... She's being intimidated right now um, by the way this is all being handled. And she's trying not to let it get to her, but it is definitely getting to her. Oh, yeah. Like, she spends most of this episode just very much trying to figure out how to turn any of this at all into any kind of win and failing miserably because... 
you know, we, we see a bit more of Horde Prime. Uh, we will get to him, I think, last. So let's get into the evacuation of Thaymor here. We get a very powerful character pairing that we have not gotten before in Swiftwind and Scorpia. Oh, yes. They just are, and they immediately hit it off. You know, like, they, they are really just peas in a pod, these two. It's kind, it's kind of a shame that we see so little of them, like, interacting with each other because it's they're, they're pretty fun. They're, like, they're both really, like, high-energy, high, like, optimism characters they love singing nobody else likes it when they sing but they sure as hell do you know there is one really really good scene between the pair of them uh later in season five and i think i think that's enough like with the amount of, of stuff they have to do in season five that scene uh is so great like i i think there there was the perfect amount um, because, you know, th- those two you can't overuse. You cannot uh, have too much of them. That's true. That's true. It is, It is. you have to sort of, with the painter's brush, really uh, really get in there with the fine brush and paint those details in. So we uh, we kind of see the, the evacuation underway. Adora, uh, the, the, of course it comes under attack, and Adora, uh, seeing some, you know, clones marching down the way, uh, decides... I got this, and sprints off towards them with a very interesting battle cry, let's say. Yeah, so they're evacuating Thamor. They see these uh, these clones coming up down the, down the way, which um, almost definitely see them, by the way. It's just like they're just vaguely hidden behind a rock. But, um, you know, Scorpia and Bo are like, uh, I don't know, I don't think... We, we probably definitely can't take these guys by ourselves. Like, you know, we should probably get out of here and, like, uh, follow up with the rest of the, the gang here. Um, Adora's like, nah, I got this, I got this. And she just screams and runs out towards everyone. And then we get, like, a hard cut uh, to another scene. Um, but when we come back uh, from that scene, we get another vision. She has another Shira vision. Uh, this time, she she runs after the the kind of spectral figure of Shira, but cannot catch her. Yeah, can't can't quite get her. So she wakes up, and it turns out uh, she's she's a little groggy. She's a little bit like she's a little bit unsteady on her feet because it turns out Scorpia may have had to give her just a little, you know, little sting, little sting there. Yeah, like, uh, they had to knock her out for her own safety. Um, Bo, you know, tries to impress up her, like, listen, you cannot go running into situations like that on your own anymore. You're not She-Ra. I know it hurts to hear, but, like, you can't be doing this. Yeah, and it's actually, it's actually interesting. I think this episode especially is quite interesting because, like, um... This is a situation, like, Adora hasn't been in for a long time, and she's, obviously she's really, really not happy about it from, like, a whole, a whole range of reasons. But in, in particular, there's one thing about this, this exchange between her and Bo that got me, actually, which was, like, the way that um, Adora's kind of, like, feeling... A really similar emotion, I feel like, to to what Glimmer was probably feeling whenever she was like, "Hey, listen, this is too dangerous. You sh- you can't just go out on your own." Yeah, like this is she she is very feeling very similar. Like she doesn't want to hear it. 
like she knows that she cannot be doing this she knows that she is you know she is not in a position to to single-handedly do these things but she is just like every time it comes up she starts prickling and she she starts wanting to rush in again i mean she it's it's again it's like glimmer and adora both feel this like massive massive sense of responsibility right so like you know being told you're not strong enough you can't do this on your own is like it's like antithetical to both of them right they're like i have like that can't be true i have to be strong enough like that's not that's not an option because it's my responsibility to take care of this uh throughout this throughout this whole scene her hair is mussed like there's there's strands hanging in her face um she she is a mess she's she is really a mess yeah it's like it 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 is a good like visual representation of like where she's at right now and everyone's just genuinely very concerned with her like nobody's even necessarily mad at her they're just very concerned they're like listen like i get it but you need to stop and to her credit she does relent here she's not like she's not like gonna go off on her own again like she does trust her friends and she is willing to listen to them and when she and when she does and when she does listen to them and she tells Bo like what her idea was you know he's like actually that's not a bad idea like obviously going and and her idea of course was to capture a clone to interrogate to figure out maybe maybe a clone might know where glimmer's being held which isn't a bad idea so they decide to do the plan but they're going to do it together they lure a clone away from the group uh, ambush him important note for a ver- for a brief few frames the clone does naruto run i was about to say i really had to make sure that that got in the get, that got in the cut because it's really fu- it's so funny that they naruto run very much blinking Elisa, but he definitely starts up a naruto run but doesn't get very far because he gets kicked by swift wind wrapped up by bow and finally gets sucker punched by scorpia lightning sucker punched even so they tie him up, and they're going to uh, grill him for information. And luckily, he loves to talk about Horde Prime. Boy, howdy. He, this clone, he loves nothing more than to tell you all about Horde Prime. Uh, you know, the, the glory to Horde Prime, sovereign of the seven skies, all, regent of, a, of the glittering galaxies. I mean... He just goes on and on, really. Yeah, this guy can't shut up about Horde Prime, which is like... The problem is... Uh, the problem is he can't shut up about Horde Prime. He's not going to tell you any information. He's just going to tell you that Horde Prime owns and is like the sickest one in the world. He does tell them that Glimmer is on his flagship. Like He tells them where she is, but that's not really going to help them much. It narrows down where she is, but not where that is. Um... He's like, well, she is a, a she's a valued guest of Horde Prime. You know, she should be honored to have a place in her light. Um, and of course, after wasting their time, uh, turns out, yeah, the uh, the rebellion camp has been ambushed by uh, Horde the the Galactic Horde forces because, of course, they saw through the wizard tricks. Yeah, like the the clone is like, hey, listen. You know, she's better off than you guys are because uh, it turns out Horde Prime sees all and knows all. And then the uh, sort of dispre- distress fireworks go off and uh, and they sprint off towards the uh, the camp, which is, 
you know, they're having some issues. You know, we're not we're not quite at a complete Rauger's Reach situation, but pretty close. Yeah, less uh, less bloody, thankfully, but uh, no less distressing because they are being completely overrun. Uh, Micah has to take the time to save Entrapta from some horde bots because she is busy collecting all of the fallen tech. Of course, all of this stuff is like insanely like advanced technology. She simply can't resist. Yeah, this is like leagues above anything she's dealt with so far. This is this is like an order of magnitude more. This is like for her seeing this is like if somebody from like the nineties got a hold of like star trek technology yeah like the first one's tech yeah it's pretty advanced but this is is a thousand years removed from that and it is just completely out of this world quite literally um but of course shadow weaver also saves micah by (laughs) by just chucking some acid at this robot sure she can't really use much magic anymore but she sure can use items yeah, she sure can use items. She got some splash potions and saves saves Micah from a from a bot, and he just sort of grimaces, like begrudgingly acknowledges it, and then like moves on. She just kind of shrugs, like mm, you're welcome. There's a really cool move that Mermista and Frost do, where Mermista makes a wall of water, Frost freezes it, and like slides along in like Frozone. Oh yeah, I love the Frozone bit. Like it is, she needed to do more Frozone stuff. I think uh, it's ah, it's really good. But you know, Adora of course flings herself into battle with uh with these with these robots with like 10 robots yeah like she's st- well if uh, to her credit it started out as like four which is a lot yeah it's still a lot <laughs> but then it quickly grows as she is uh, completely overmatched uh and about ready to just get completely swiss cheesed when for some reason they stop and why do they stop well we'll get to that later but the point is that Bo has to drag her out of the fire yet again. Yeah, for for yet another time. And and Bo like takes a second to be like, listen, like this is not this is not tenable. And Adora's like, yeah, I know. This is like you're right. I'm I'm not strong enough. I can't do this on my own. I'm not a hero anymore. And Bo's like, no, no, you're still a hero, and you've never been alone. You just like work together with us just rely on us yeah and adora this is and and again i'm gonna get into this a little bit later but this is like a really this is one of the very extremely extremely pivotal moments this is one of the layers of the of the onion being ripped off for her is this scene specifically so like yeah this is this is a very very important scene for her yeah so they rally uh, they manage to escape the assault, uh, and they find a hidden, you know, she, she brings them to the place that she saw uh, in, in that vision of Madame Raz's with Mara, uh, the, this hidden glen. Yes, the, the deepest part of the Whispering Woods, the, the, the sort of magical heart of the forest. And uh, this is where they will make their, their new base, where not even the, the, uh, the forces of Horde Prime can touch them. Speaking of Horde Prime, we should get to the man himself, the titular character of this episode. 
Yes. Uh, one last thing, though, before we do. Adora does have another Shira vision that totally takes her out. She just passes out in the middle of the of the field here. So this is these nightmares are not just limited to sleeping anymore. Yeah, she's just having them all the time. Very healthy, very normal, uh, no adverse effects at all. Um, so yeah, that's where we end with just Adora passed out on the ground and everyone sort of gathered around her. Yes, but but this episode's called Horror Prime. And we got to talk about Horde Prime, so yeah. So let's let's get into Horde Prime here. This is our first real good look at him after the season four finale. That was a, that was a good introduction, but we're really here to sort of start digging into what it is about Horde Prime that makes him so interesting. So let, let, we can't get into everything just yet. There are yet still uh, layers to his character that will be revealed later, um, but. For, for now, I think we can start here. I think Horde Prime is a fantastic uh, villain for this final season. So, when you think about, like, the big overarching, you know, villains of, of last seasons of shows like this, they're, they're built up over all of the, all, over all of these story arcs and, and until they're finally here. And often, I think, shows have the instinct to just make their the the final bad guy the biggest scariest most powerful one and that's certainly true of Hort prime but returning back to the avatar well that's also true of ozai the problem with ozai is that he's a really boring character he doesn't even have a character ozai is like nothing yeah he's like he's like a bad man literally melon lord has more character than ozai he is like entire any any menace or or like interest he has is entirely driven by Mark Hamill. Like the the guy can make anyone charismatic, even someone with like nothing behind him. And you know when you compare Ozai to the other various villains of that show, he just really falls flat. Yeah. In comparison to like Zhao or Zuko or Azula, characters who have you know actual complexity and arcs. And Ozai shoot a big fire um out of a big blimp and do a big punch yeah like that's it that that is kind of it and he like flies around like he's like a jetpack man and it's whatever he's he's really not very much Horde prime though is a bit different he's he's he occupies a similar like narrative role but importantly they do a couple of very key differences with him so first and foremost he has way more screen time, like yes. dramatically more screen presence, which is really important because this establishes stuff about him. The interesting thing is we don't necessarily get, um, particularly in this episode, we don't get like a ton of insight into him as a person. He's very impenetrable, but we get insight into why he is so feared why he is the ruler of the galaxy like why is this guy so powerful you get an idea of that from the way he acts the way he carries himself the things he does and the things he talks about paint a picture ozai is just the fire lord he doesn't really do anything that matters on screen the most that ever happens with him is when he's doing the phoenix king and he's like shooting fire into a completely unpopulated like marsh or whatever because yeah. his plan is to burn the continent left to right like he's a like a printer he's like scanning the continent like good luck with that it's gonna take you three years yeah 
it's uh yeah it's gonna take a while my man but uh yeah so so yeah one of course not horde prime not voiced by a big celebrity uh just played by keston john same actor who plays hordak uh very masterfully completely different performance in every single way so horde prime is is kind of this perfect balance of like he is of course like a big dramatic cartoon bad guy right He's got the, 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 the talon fingers. He's got all sorts of, of, of theatrical gestures and, and speeches and whatnot. But he does back that up with a lot of genuine malice and intimidation in not just the things he does, but the way he talks and the way he deals with people. So let's get a little bit nonlinear here as we kind of cover the, the, the Horde Prime side of this plot with Catcher and Glimmer. So the first time we see him in this episode, other than the cold open, uh, Catra is going into his throne room to talk to him about stuff. And he's just kind of chilling. He is mind melding uh, with Hordak's memories. Yes. He's in his gamer chair and you don't want to disturb him when he's in his gamer chair. No, he's gaming. Uh, but he, he snaps out of it and calls Catra by name, which she was certainly not expecting. I, I guess she hasn't introduced herself yet. No, not really. And he is like, well, I learned a lot from my defective brother's memories. Uh, he didn't like you very much, for one. So, yeah, and you also, like, betrayed him and tried to kill him. So I got a question. Why exactly should I keep you alive? Yeah, he's he's very to the point, is the thing. Like, Hordak and Horde Prime do share this sort of this this sort of same thing here where they they don't beat around the bush it is it is it's straight straight to the thing the heart of the matter here and the heart of the matter is what use does Katra serve at all in this situation and you know she's like oh well you know I have information about the super weapon you need me you can't you can't use it without my help and she's trying really hard to keep up this like confidence like voice and she does a good job of it but like the 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 voice performance in it i think really carries it quite heavily because visually she like maintains the uh maintains the the visage but the voice is like the i don't know how to describe it like the timber is just like it's a little shaky like it's it's just enough that you can tell that there's a lot of anxiety like baked into what she's saying even though she's trying to remain confident while she's being literally backed into a corner uh and that's like again just it's good it's good stuff it's good stuff yeah she is immediately intimidated by this guy um her her normal confident tone of voice she's much softer in this scene like she lacks the kind of bombast or or confidence her, her interactions with hordak would bring and he's just like, well, uh, you know, if you are you ready to pledge your loyalty to me, then if you're if you're really serious about this, and uh, Catcher responds with that with, I'm ready. So next we've got, uh, you know, so we should I guess we could talk about well, well, real, well, real quick, I, I did wanna I did wanna say with that scene, like the thing, the thing about that too is like the way that Horror Prime is phrasing all of it, right? Like, do you do you pledge your undying loyalty to me and stuff like that, like he's really toying with her a lot here because like this is a dude who just saw all of Hordak's memories and Hordak's most recent memories are 
that uh, this girl super betrayed the fuck out of him. Like, like next level, like, had been scheming behind his back the whole time kind of stuff. Yeah, like, betrayed his trust completely and utterly, dropped industrial machinery on him. Well, okay, technically he did that, sort of, but you know. Yeah, yeah kind of led him into it a little bit. But, but yeah, no, he's... So Horde Prime is like, mm-hmm, interesting, interesting. I see, I see what you're, what you're all about here, miss. And she's like, she's just trying not to, not to think about that part of it. <laughs> He's basically like daring her to do something. It's like, yeah, pledge your undying loyalty to me. Do you, she, she, he is just, he's basically, you know, very softly and eloquently saying, look around and find out. And she doesn't want to find out. I don't want to find out either. <laughs> no, she really doesn't want to find out. She really doesn't. So, Katra, of course, that entire interaction was just... Just real bad. Horrifying. So she goes to talk to someone where she can, can kind of feel on top in that situation. Kind of feel like she's in a better position. Uh, she goes to talk to Glimmer. Yeah, so she goes. she comes up to Glimmer while while she's still, like desperately trying to figure out a way to get out and you know she's got her smug confident little smirk her little uh, sachet as she walks into frame kind of talks about how fancy the prison is and glimmer is really short by the way like glimmer is very tiny like katra has never been very tall um but and glimmer is like a head almost a head shorter than she is so you know glimmer's like five foot nothing yeah she, well, she's like four foot five or something she is very short she she is she's a small lady she got all those mica jeans none of the angela jeans oh uh, yeah no she got yeah, listen having a short king as your as your dad sometimes sometimes it does not does not convey infinite benefit but the thing about this scene that's interesting, right, is, like, Katra, she's playing it up. She's doing the smug thing. But Glimmer is not really having any of it. Like, despite how, like, stressful and messed up as the situation is, like, you know, Glimmer is still like, hey, listen, you know, you might, like, this is this is all fun and games, right? Like, you know, haha, you, you captured me or whatever. Don't pretend like you're not in a cell, too. You, the outside of this cell is still a cell for you. We're all in our own personal prisons, Brendan. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, she, she does say, like, you you are not in, like, your environment. You, may, you, you can try to convince yourself all you want that you can play Horde Prime, but there's no way. Yeah, yeah, like, Catcher's like, oh, listen, this the Horde's the Horde, even if it's in space. I'll, I'll work my way up just like last time, and... <laughs> Which I love the way that, that AJ Montrealco delivers that line because she doesn't believe a word of it. No, like yeah. Katra, here's the thing. Katra has been running on delusion for an entire season. Most of the show, in fact. She's been running on lying to herself. And she can't, she's running out of, she's running out of gas. She's running out of evidence that she can ignore. Yeah, yeah, the steam, the steam is uh, dying down here. Like, she, she's starting to have a lot of second and third and fifth and one hundredth thoughts currently. And she's trying very hard to, uh, to keep that buried uh, nice and deep, but it's not working too well right now. Uh, but before she has enough time to really sink her teeth into all of that thinking, um, two clones show up behind them and sort of simultaneously are like, 
you're both invited to a wonderful dinner with uh, with His Grace uh, Horde Prime, and they're escorted to a room. This this is the this is the the best scene of the episode right here. This is the highlight uh, of this of this whole thing. Oh yes, this is this this is the moment where where Horde Prime really shows us what he's about. So we've got this spread here. Uh, and you know, Bright Moon, of course, very interesting cuisine as we have glimpsed in the past. So uh, we've got it pulled up here. I've got it paused on this wide shot. So let's just go down the table uh, of what the the lovely space meal Horde Prime has prepared. So first off, we have three bottles of completely different shapes and sizes. Yeah, various liquids, you know, for for drinking. Uh, presumably, maybe they're condiments. Who's to say? Got like what well, kind of looks like guacamole and chitin, chitin bowls. You know what it reminds me of? Actually, it's like it reminds me of uh, you remember in the Emperor's New Groove. Remember the oh, yes, bugs? the bug. Yeah, it's the like bug, that. The, the rolly bugs. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um. Then we've got cubes, gel cubes with like a little a little thing in the middle of them. Yeah, got gotta love those cubes. Those are pretty important, you know. Some kind of, like, twisty bread thing. It's blue, though. It's blue. It's blue bread. Uh, we got this, like, flowery-looking thing in a bowl, like a few of those. Yeah, and you have, like, roast beast from 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 the Grinch Stole Christmas, basically. Yeah, and I think when you get a, a zoom in on it, it has, like, a weird texture. Like, it's kind of furry almost and of course there's a candelabra with like glowing points of light yeah blue orb fire you know how it is gotta gotta be fancy with the candles when you're in space right of course uh yeah so here we go oh yeah it's like feathered like the roast beast is feathered and hold on a second hold on a second yeah so we have we have the we have the video up on this scene right now that is a pokemon that does look like a shelter you're right that is literally a shelter I'm put, I'm gonna put this image. I'm putting this in in the in the tweet when I put this episode up. I'm gonna make a note of that so I don't forget. This this man's eating shelter. I mean, they're probably pretty delicious. Let's be honest with ourselves here. But uh, yes, he he has invited them all here for this wonderful meal to kind of get to. We're all just trying to get to know one another. Um, and you know, he encourages Glimmer to just dig into Cube. And she takes a bite and is like, that's good, right? Well, it's it's a real delicacy. Um, you know, a, a very distant world. Uh, uh, really hard to get your hands on because I destroyed... That world no longer exists. I destroyed it. Yeah, blue, blue that up. does not exist anymore. And she immediately drops her spoon and looks like she's going to throw up. And, uh, and Horde Prime's like, oh, you know, you, you want seconds? pretty good right he's just he's just relishing in how much power he has in this situation he is loving it horde prime as we can see is extremely ostentatious like hordak was never this he had a big throne room sure but he spent most of his time brooding and like telling people to you know as scorpio says he spent most of his time screaming get out at people he 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 never really lorded over anyone like this 
Um, even when, you know, at, at first, uh, his first appearance, when he gives Catcher the Force Captain badge, he, he does so from the shadows very distantly. Horde Prime, is, this very well-lit ship, um, like extremely ornate architecture, huge view screens that are like paper thin. And of course, this massive spread of uh, probably, you know, dishes from all over the galaxy that he has, has conquered and, and stolen uh, from various cultures. A, a very ostentatious and, and uh, display of power meant to just sort of crush any resistance out of Glimmer. It's like, yeah. I can destroy worlds with like a wave of my hand just because I want like one of their dishes all to myself. What like you you do not want to mess with me. Yeah, like he he is he is a man who wants to use every tool at his disposal to make sure that you know he is the most powerful thing to ever live or will ever live and uh, and he makes another point of, of showing this by, you know, being like, oh, you know, you must miss your planet terribly. Let me show you what, what uh, you know, let me put it on the view screen so you can reminisce about it. And it is just entirely scenes of the camp being destroyed, of her friends being harmed. And she's she's trying to keep it together right now, but she's crying. And I mean, she just she just asks, you know, why why are you doing this why what is the point and i mean the point's quite clear you know this is a display of force this is meant to crush hope not just crush the physical part of a rebellion not not just destroy the supply lines not just destroy the infrastructure the soldiers or the equipment it is all about crushing Every small, even the smallest glimmer of hope that could exist, because without that, there's there there is no rebellion, and and he knows that very well. And he he identifies the center of this rebellion as Adora, um, and upon that, Catra has a reaction. But she spent most of this scene just kind of sitting there in the middle of this table just kind of staring into nothing she's a very awkward third wheel here yeah she is like completely unsure of what to do like technically she's kind of on horde prime side here but of course her framing in the scene puts her right in the middle torn between like her still lingering ambitions her 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 the draw to power to safety and her ties to Etheria and Glimmer here. Um, and she's just kind of stuck there. And uh, when, when Adora comes on screen, her nails, you know, she, she can't help but scratch up that pristine glass table. Yes, she, she's been keeping it together quite strongly. But, you know, once Adora's introduced into the picture, it, it cracks the facade a little bit more than maybe she uh, she would like. So, I mean, she but she generally keeps keeps it together not like glimmer Glim- glimmer glimmer is not keeping it together at all and when Hor prime is like all right we're gonna we're gonna take her out right now and you get to watch live on camera glimmer's like absolutely not no 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 no. you can't you can't because if you want to use the big gun you need all the princesses that includes she-ra and the face 
on Katra when she says this is just she has this moment of just like oh shit because she's the one who's supposed to know this stuff yeah and like yeah we cut after after horde prime relents and you know that that's why adora survives that attack and like we just catra is literally just staring off into the middle distance um and just like well what do i do now uh and you know she's she's really put out by all of this Uh, and of course glimmer is just crying over on the other end of the table and so after all of this we see uh catra you know she kind of walks up to horde prime you know she's putting on the 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 smug kind of you know evil overlord face like that was man that was well played showing her stupid friends pretty great and a horde prime just looks at her for a minute yeah just very like you we are not on the same level like girl you we are not even close to the same level we are not in the same solar system we are not in the same like quadrant of the galaxy you and i you like he just he just stands like oh yeah yeah uh you, you know you have no attachments right well you know when uh, when I mentioned Adora, I noticed spike in a heart rate, dilated pupils. You care about her, and and Catra tries to deny it, but Horde Prime, of course, sees all and knows all. That he does, and and he's like, and he's like, hey, you know, you uh, you 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 tried to partition all this information out, you know, use it as a bargaining chip. And he says it with so much like like disdain in his voice like like bordering on disgust like this is like he's looking at Katra like a like vermin not like a person and like 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 such a waste of his time to even be dealing with her and she's she's just like just in this really really quiet voice after she's been totally shut down and he's like this 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 plan of yours was never going to work i hope you know that she's just like what are you gonna do with me and like she's she's genuinely very very scared right now in a way that i don't think that she has been on screen before yes she's terrified um and he's just like the every part of the machine can be useful that is like that is some grade a evil stuff to say oh yes and and he calls her something really, really specific. Little sister. Yeah, we're not going to go into the details of what it means right now. But he does call her little sister. And that's a... Mm, it's, it's not a that's not a good thing for that man to call you. Let me, let me just say that. Horde Prime, there are a few more layers to Horde Prime and like his thematic weight. Like that, that is one other thing, right? You know, Ozai doesn't really have much thematic weight behind him. Um, there, he's a guy they have to defeat. Yeah, he's just a big force. He's a he is a force of nature that is going to roll over. Really, like he is just the the human personification of Sozin's comet, right? Like he's not even like a guy. Yes, but Horde Prime has themes. Yeah, so you know the, uh, this show obviously about about gay characters has a lot of a lot of LGBT themes, right? Horde Prime will tie into this, uh, and, and we'll get to that a few episodes from now. But we're not going to talk about that in the spoiler zone yet. 
there there are a lot of aspects to horde prime and his character and and the the aesthetics uh associated with him that are really interesting we we kind of got into it a little bit i think in the very first spoiler zone we ever had a real throwback yeah that's true actually we did we talked about quite a lot in that uh in that first spoiler zone and we, we kind of contrasted the the ethereum horde and the galactic horde and the first ones yeah we did and and we're gonna get into that a lot more when um when episode three rolls around because a lot of this stuff really comes home to roost at that point um but uh but for now that's that's gonna do it for the actual meat of uh meat of horde prime the episode here it's uh it's a real strong start to season five it's it is a very strong introduction to the galactic horde and a very strong first step into a very precarious uh position for basically the entire cast yes i love the the setup that this episode does Horde Prime is a great villain. Everyone is on like the edge of this great abyss. We have characters, you know, split by truly outrageous and insurmountable distances, um, and and yet still connected, still thinking of one another. And then you know, as Horde Prime says, Ethereans are defined by their connection to one another. He's telling you the themes. He's pointing at you, the audience, and telling you the themes that he is and uh and we will and we will definitely get more more well introduced to those themes as we uh as we progress here but um yeah questions we do in fact have questions uh quite, quite a few of them actually um why don't you know let's let's get the let's get the twitter question out of the way first we got one twitter question from casey cosmos uh who asks what flavor of Mountain Dew would you use to power yourself? Uh, Horde Prime, of course, being a, uh, a classic, classic, classic uh, neon green dew-powered individual. Uh, I think we both have the same answer here, which is Code Red. Yeah, if we're if we're if we're talking modern flavors, we're talking up-to-date flavors. Code Red for sure, because they never really changed Code Red. If we're talking throwback flavors original lime wire that was the good stuff the new the new lime wire is not very good the original stuff that was that was the stuff like literally you know every other break at work i i I get some code red in the middle of my day to give me that boost like i am already fueled by code red Uh, (laughs) i just need to you know get it intravenously injected like horde prime does yeah that was always my uh my code red was my drink of choice whenever i was doing like uh really long car rides i had a job that i do a lot of really long car rides for a while and you know, I regular do that's fine. I'll take it if it's the only option. Voltage makes me feel like I'm dying. Um, yeah. Whiteout I haven't had in a while. Um, throwback makes my teeth hurt more than even normal Mountain Dew does because that cane sugar. Yeah, it's just like straight sugar. Yeah, it's just I, I can feel like my body rebelling against this <laughs> gunk i'm putting in it's like you shouldn't be drinking this there's a reason they changed the formula you're going to die if you drink another one and i go oh well too bad uh, uh but yeah that code red that's and you know it would look really different if uh if horde prime shared our proclivities yeah his entire aesthetic It'd be it, he'd be a lot closer to where Hordak was. I mean, maybe, maybe Hordak's being powered by Code Red. Oh, Hordak is the Code Red guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. There we go. There we go. And we have a grip 
of curious cat questions. A real a real horde of them, you could say. Prime. <laughs> uh so we'll 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 take it from the top. So first up, um, from Anonymous, we have what do you think Catra was feeling when she had an elevated heartbeat? Uh, she doesn't express her feelings like Glimmer does during the dinner. Um, and we talked about this a little bit a few minutes ago, but but yeah, like when she's having that elevated heartbeat, like she's I think it's like it's not necessarily even like a specific emotion. If you have like a person who evokes a lot of really complicated emotions in you when you talk about them or hear people talk about them or like that like you just think about them in general, like just generally getting a big spike of anxiety and like an elevated heartbeat and stuff is just that's just how that happens so like i don't even know that she's like feeling anything like in specific she's just she's feeling many things all at once she's feeling a lot (laughs) yeah i mean i know what she's feeling some of but we can't talk about that right now no not quite yeah, how you take this next one, too? Uh, sure. So the uh, next one, uh, next Coney is King. Uh, this, is a, this is a two-part. Well, it's like maybe even a three-parter. Um, two and a half. Two and a half. Uh, so the first one is, uh, if the characters were allowed to swear, how often would the princesses and the main side cast uh, do so? This we've, we've addressed before. We, we've touched on it. We, we, we have said Glimmer would be the top. Obviously. Yeah, tip, tippy, tippy top, tippy top. This this girl would swear like a sailor. Oh yeah, like my own, the most minor inconvenience is just a flurry of obscenities flying out of her mouth. Absolutely. Bo is a good boy. Bo is a good boy. He, I feel like I feel like he would say like hell. Yes, he, but that's not even really a swear. No. I don't even like bleep hell. No, that listen at this, at this point, I'm pretty sure you can say what the hell in like PG movies, and that's that's really like. Once you can get an unlimited of those in, like, a PG movie, that's not a swear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's see. I mean, Huntara's, like, kind of, like, a crusty, sort of sort of salty, like, wasteland warrior. So she would probably swear a little bit, but I don't think it's, like... She's, like, the kind of person who swears when... Like, when she swears, you know that either, like, some... You know something's going on. Like, some, some stuff is yeah. going on. Also, I think like Huntara has like access to 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 like swears nobody's heard of. She's got like she's got like the thirteen <laughs> sailor swears. All right. Yeah, he, she opens her mouth and dolphin noises come out, <laughs> and everyone else looks horrified. Um, Double trouble, I think is is too elegant for that sort of thing oh yeah they've got they've they've got other ways of expressing their emotions that being said you know they'd drop an f-bomb if like if if somebody messed them up while they were on stage or something they have the greatest precision they know exactly where it goes if they were in a pg-13 film they would know exactly where that one f-bomb would go like oh yeah they know the perfect place to put it and you, you gotta use it correctly. You cannot waste that. If you do, you've ruined the whole film. Like, it's, it doesn't matter how good it is. You've just wasted it. Uh, uh, the second part here. In the Seagate episode, Mermista mentioned that her dad gave her the kingdom and left somewhere. Now it makes me think about Perfuma's father, who we actually see on the mural in the war room, and where he is, too, if he's not dead. Um, and, and, and they uh, follow up with, 
uh, and also Seahawks said he was quite popular for setting his boats on on fire. And on the BLM charity live stream, Noel said that he is from the other side of Etheria named Brotheria, because that's where all the men are from, apparently. There is another continent, right? Yeah, there is another continent. I mean, we don't know that much about, like, the layout of the whole planet. There's only a few scenes where you actually get, like, a map um, that, that really gives us any information. I think... Uh, there's one episode where we get like a shot in the uh, the bright room war room where we have like a decent like map of most of the continent they're on but yeah most of the planet we don't know that much about uh so yeah you know but bro theory i guess is is where the dudes live i'm trying to see if they have anything on the wiki uh, i should say on his wiki like data bar special features uh is handlebar mustache i mean it's true. That is a pretty special feature. Nobody else has a handlebar mustache. Oh yeah. He's really a pioneer in the mustache uh in like the field of mustachery. I know that there is a I think they named the continent, but I can't seem to find it. Uh so yeah, I guess we'll bro theory is pretty all right. Uh how about you take this next one? Yeah. Well, well first we want to want to get the the other oh, bit right, here. Yes. Yeah. So so, uh, so yeah, Mermista mentions uh, her dad gave her her the kingdom and stuff. So, yeah, that's that's true. I did forget about that part. So that's definitely like a thing. And then you have um, Perfuma's father. I it does make you wonder. Like, did the the rulers kind of did they abandon ship maybe after the actual princess alliance the first time dissolved like it's kind of an interesting an interesting thing right like they they had uh like a close friend like micah die in battle presumably and or at least die as like a prisoner of war as far as they were concerned and um like that probably shook them all up more or less as bad as it did uh angela and i guess i i wouldn't necessarily be super surprised if a lot of them kind of went into exile like self-imposed exile or went to like other parts of the planet and kind of left their positions behind they they, they put it behind them and i think you know and you know of course this is this is very speculation heavy but i imagine that like if that were the case that would probably have contributed quite a lot to sort of angela's like whole demeanor about the princess alliance why she's so hesitant to really go for a second round because like not only does she lose her husband but the original alliance kind of all seemingly disappeared they just left and gave up and tried to to live their lives elsewhere all things that could possibly be explored in some kind of sequel comic or film just saying and just saying just is sort of sort of elbow to the to the to the side here you know eh, eh? Yeah, but uh but yeah so we got next one anonymous uh this one's kind of just a fun fact uh, apparently after researching some words in old english uh for this person's personal magic system um uh, they found out that puka uh, spelled P-U-C-A, was uh, an Anglo-Saxon word for goblins or demons or mischievous spirits, which is, uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fitting for these, like, little terrifying cute creatures. They are pretty mischievous, I'll give them that. Yes, uh, and also, uh, this person points out that the uh, party 
that was mentioned in the email episode uh, that Catra had that we like forgot which specific party it was. It was the one in the Crimson Waste um, when when Catra got very I drunk. I cannot believe we forgot that one. Like that episode is incredible, and I cannot believe it completely exited our minds. That scene is great. Listen, it's there's there was so much there was so much in in the end of uh, season four. It just you know it just, just sort of took up a lot of space, takes up a lot of mental real estate. You know how it is. Yeah, and we answered a whole lot of emails. Nine pages, even. And another reminder of something we also completely missed, uh, relating to Catra, Adora, and Cliffs, a recurring motif. Um, Anonymous Curious Catra user says, On the Cliff conversation, you actually mentioned the true, uh, you actually missed the true first Cliff in episode one with the training simulation with our first Hey Adora. Catra is the reason for uh, Adora falling into the little hexagon hole. The Horde loves its hexagons. And then after slight banter on how nothing is too low for Catra, she lifts Adora out. In the way, that's the entire plot of Shira right there in the first episode. And I won't say the last part of that question. Oh, yes, we were going to say the last part of that question, but uh, you're right. You are correct. You know who you are. You're right. You are absolutely right. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh, man. Oh, I can't wait to, can't wait to dig into that kind of stuff when we get there. But, um... But yeah, no, that's that. That is definitely the true first cliff, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um, uh, the next one, just sort of a personal question. It's like uh, just someone asking, like uh, you know, what our pronouns are. Um, I use she, her. I use they, them. Yep. Um, that's a quick one. That's an easy one. Yeah, that one's nice and fast. Uh, next one. <laughs> this one's not even really a question. Uh, also, this is just truth. This is just a fact about life. Yeah, this is just uh, no thoughts, head empty, only Catradora. And uh, correct. Yep. Y- y- yep. You got it. That's how I was like for two months after the end of this. Uh, after the end of the show, it was just. Oh yeah, it's like all I talked about. Like this is all I was talking about. You go back into, into my Twitter to to man. It's just a huge block of Shira content. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Um, next up, anonymous uh, on the topic you touched on in the Destiny episode surrounding the Catra Glimmer and Angela situation. Um, Glimmer had only just gotten over thinking it was Adora's fault. Uh, during the three or so months in the cell, I feel like she would have she would spend more time blaming herself for things. Uh, rather than blaming others again, uh, which is what went wrong with what went wrong in season four. So I'm not surprised uh, it didn't come up in season five. That is definitely a like good read on her situation and her mental state throughout the first uh, bits of season five. I do wish there was a bit more of it on screen still. Like that is a conversation that should happen somewhere, but as we said in that email episode, it's hard to fit in. Uh, season five which is already so stuffed full of, of so many things going on at once yeah it's a pretty dense season uh, like like I, I do i do think that yeah during like the three or so months in the cell she would have like a lot of time to really like think about all this stuff but uh but you know it's it's one of those things where it's like it's not really textual like it isn't really addressed in in a way that's like it could have it could have been a little more textual i think is is the thing is is really really the heart of the matter there yeah like 
it's uh but i but it's definitely something that i i I would i would say is a very good read on glimmer's characters uh next one we got here from what is cosplay this is Cass from strangers fiction um can you all talk a little bit about what noel said about mara about her being a metaphor for people warning him about women in the animation industry who had breakdowns and stuff uh, I haven't seen any of these comments, but that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, that does that does make a lot of sense. I also haven't seen this comment, so if somebody, like, happens to know where this is, they want to, like, link it to us on Twitter or something, that'd be cool. But, like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's, like, that's actually really common um, sort of, like, anti-advice, I guess you could say. Like, um, I know that when I was in animation school, that was, like, a line that would get toted, like, you know, oh, you know, I don't know, like, do women really belong in the industry? Like, I, like especially in positions of power, because, you know, they have, like, they have breakdowns, and they can, they can cause production problems. Like, this is, like, a fairly common thing. Like, like animation is actually a pretty chauvinistic industry in a lot of ways. The, in- the industry's got a lot of problems, uh, but that's, that's one of them. Yeah, and, like, you know, it's, it's, it is a common attitude, you know, throughout a lot of different places. I mean, of course, you hear any dude talking about, oh, my crazy ex-girlfriend or whatever, right? Like, no, that's a big red flag huge red flag right there it's like mm, <laughs> i don't know yeah i don't know and so yeah mara being this figure who is so maligned and everyone is warning adora like you don't be like mara she went crazy and ruined everything yeah do it do what we say and just follow our lead and you know what and you won't end up like her it's yeah there's like there's a lot of like silencing like that just sort of like you know know your place sit down do the work and and follow the follow the boys lead and you'll you know you'll get there you know it's not a lot of they don't want you to to take leadership positions so yeah i can i can totally totally see this for sure continuing the mara uh topic for a little bit with the anonymous from an anonymous curious catcher user how old do you think mara is this i don't think she's very old at all yeah like she's like 24 yeah like we know that she is some manner of officer in the first one's military we don't know what manner of officer we don't know what her rank is we don't know that kind of thing but she's like she is a like capital s soldier she is ranked and um i don't i feel feel like she's gonna be a little bit older probably than adora is like maybe not by much yeah but not by like two to four years older but yeah she's still pretty young yeah like it's just another layer of tragedy to her story of just like oh well she wasn't uh, she wasn't very old at all, was she? She was very young when all of this happened, and she had to, you know, sacrifice her life uh, for the good of the universe. Yeah, really, really cut down uh, in her prime, honestly. It's, uh, yeah, adds like a, another layer of really sad stuff to uh, to her story. Uh, and then finally, we've got uh, one more anonymous uh, question. Uh, once the heart starts doing the magic-stealing business, Glimmer says to Catra, Light Hope tricked me. 
Uh, she didn't really. Glimmer was warned of what happened and went there of her own volition. Whenever I rewatch, that's just something I always notice. Yes? That is true. She de- Adora definitely said... Do not tr- you can't trust Light Hope. She's gonna use you. But I mean, there's still there's still some validity to what Glimmer is feeling. Yes. She was still she was still played. Like to to be clear, Light Hope withhold a lot of information. Um, most of the information, in fact, she withheld. Um, other than Scorpia is the key. If you balance her, you'll get powerful. She left out the part where. And then we'll siphon your power and use it to detonate a huge uh, laser. Yes, it's it didn't. There was not a lot of uh, concrete information on her end as to what the heart of Etheria actually would do. And like to be clear, this is this is like this is something where where Glimmer actively chose not to listen to her friends because she didn't feel like she could trust their judgment. She didn't feel like they were being like as committed as she was to defending Etheria and, and whatnot here. And I mean, a lot of reasons, but she, um, she's, she was more willing to trust light hope and give her this massive benefit of the doubt because she felt like she was an objective authority, right? She was like this. She's sort of the personification of the first ones hold over the planet. She is like, you know, she is inherently trustworthy as this inherent facet of the system that she's trying to access the power of. And, you know, surprise, that's not really how things work in the real world. Um, you know, it works as a fairly effective metaphor for that kind of thing, I think. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that's all of our questions. We've got a little bit of a light spoiler zone today. So let's just tumble through these, uh, plugs. Yeah, do a real nice dive roll through them. You got Twitter, that's at Podcast of Power over there. You can find links to our Curious Cat and whatnot. Uh, give us a follow to keep updated on any goings-on. Uh, Patreon patreon.com slash pot of power exciting news we've hit our final stretch goal yes we have we in fact are going to do the for the honor uh actual play uh, one shot podcast um we don't know when that's going to happen right now we don't know if we're going to be getting guest stars for that right in this second but we're gonna we're gonna see what we can we can figure out so we'll let you know Probably by uh, by next episode, that there will be something in the in the plug section where we'll give you a little more information on that. We'll keep you updated. I would say probably don't expect it until the the sort of uh, latter end of our season five episodes. Maybe even after uh, season five is done. You know, you gotta get everything together. Gotta gotta run that game. It's gonna be a great time, though. And of course, while you're waiting, we have plenty of other stuff for you at the three dollar Force Captain level. We have mini sods uh, on a a personality quiz that the crew designed, and uh, with the Legend of the Fire Princess comic. Yes, we also have our side cast, the Kipo cast and the Owl cast. We take a look at Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts and the Owl House, respectively. And we also, uh, the final episode of the Owl cast for now, until uh, until more episodes come out, is coming up here. Uh, after that, we're going to be looking at Infinity Train with the Infinicast, so uh, keep uh, keep an eye out for that as well if you're a patron, um, as well as many more fun offerings. 
And finally, if you donate at the Force Captain level, you get your lovely names read at the end of every episode. So, thank you to Kaylee Louisa, Garrett Johnson, Ross Ivy, Emlyn, Ashley Butcher, Anelia Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Jack Manuro, Olivia, Brittany, Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu Immigrosman, and Robert Harris. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. As always, your support means the world to us. We love being able to do this, and we love that you guys are, are having a good time with it. Um, but with all that said, we are going to be heading over to the spoiler zone. So, if you're not joining us for that, we'll catch you next time. But if you are, we'll see you on the other side. talk about adora right oh yes i will let you i will let you take the lead on this one right so we're gonna talk about that good old adora you know how it is that's literally that is verbatim my note for this for this uh the spoiler zone here so here's the thing with uh with this episode i i said earlier that this is one of the layers being ripped off the onion and and that and that is what is what is happening here. So one of the core things with Adora's character and and the pillar of her sort of Atlas situation is um, is this feeling that it is her responsibility to be the lead, to be the person at in the front lines, and she feels like that is her soul responsibility not in the sense that it's her only responsibility but that she's the only one to bear that weight you know and and there's a lot of parallels between her and glimmer for that but in this episode specifically um they they take a lot of time to sort of very distinctly press on you that no no she isn't actually this this person she isn't an atlas she can't hold the world up she's not she's not a giant greek god she can't do this and especially not now when she's more or less just a normal human yeah like she's going uh, yes you know spoilers on she's going to continue struggling in this the whole season only increasingly even after she regains the ability to turn into she-ra like all of her worst habits of shouldering everything is, is just going to keep escalating until we reach the the final logical conclusion of all of that which is trading her life for etheria yes and and this and this is like she's she's really coming to to terms with that right now like it's not going to completely a hundred percent sink in immediately which i really like by the way because i i think that that's that's that feels very real to me because um a lot of times when you have these moments 
of realization that that layer is peeled off but like you know it's it's there's still some residue right like you're still gonna like have to fight these kind of impulses where you're still gonna want to run out into the front lines when you're not really prepared when your friends aren't flanking you on either side and you you kind of have to stop yourself from doing that and that's 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 a big thing for her so this this episode like it's it really gets to the core of that and you have this like that moment where she she sort of realizes like oh yeah i like my friends are here to help me hold hold this up to to help me hold up the world to to keep things spinning like she she has a moment um during this realization where she almost takes the incorrect turn she says like you know i can't do this i'm not a hero i'm weak and you know she's there's there's uh there's sort of a fork in the road a very very tiny one easy to miss where she could have gone down a route where she starts to really self-deprecate over it and start feeling like you know she's lesser as a person because she can't fulfill this this role that you know has been built up for her by other people and herself um but she like Bo guides her down the other route which is you know like she has people to help her and and that's it's it's really pivotal this is a really really important thing because without this kind of a step she wouldn't have the kind of hesitation that she displays in the back half of the season like she hesitates when her her instincts kick in and she starts to feel like she needs to be the person who sacrifices her life for the cause right she has a doubts she has moments of doubt where the 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 her her like entire conceptualization of who she's supposed to be you know comes knocking at the door telling her telling her she needs to back down and of course the most like the biggest example of that is the the internal conversation she has via the first one's sort of brain technology when she talks to her like inner Mara. Like that's her talking to herself. She's her subconscious is getting to her to try and talk to her. And I don't know that that's where she would have been at at that time if she hadn't been able to take this this specific step uh, and when when she took it. Yeah, like Here's the thing, Horde Prime correctly identifies, yeah, Ethereans are are defined by their connections to people adore most of all because it all it all revolves around Catcher, right? Like so so let, let's just a quick shallow rundown. I don't want to talk too much about any of these cuz obviously we'll get there. But like the first time she fully transforms back into Shira is when she so intensely wants to protect Catra that it just happens yeah and she just completely wipes the floor with horde prime and and it and continues to you begin to see oh she-ra not only is this like an internal conduit right but the the transformation sequence visualizes that it is the connection with her friends that allows her to channel this even even greater power she's so much stronger than she was with the the kind of fetters of the sword of protection still attached um and as the realities of the kind of like danger that she is putting them all in sink in she has a lot of difficulty kind of 
staying connected her her power begins to flicker especially in failsafe and uh heart part one right when when catra leaves she legit cannot keep it up for very long she's constantly flickering between shira and adora just just a complete mess uh unable to call any of that power that ultimately is what leaves her compromised enough for you know the events of heart part two to take place yeah and it's 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 like it's it's themes baby it's themes all the way down like it's it's that that like like in heart and heart part two and i and i like i don't i don't want i don't want to get into it but i I, (sighs) we're so close oh we're so close okay okay I will say it's just the like internal fight that she's fighting the this specific fight that that comes back with you know with her 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 self-sacrifice uh situation it's so like physical in in the heart like it, it's like such a physically represented thing like it it's feel it's really raw like it feels really it's it's a really intense thing. Like I, I love I love that that quite a lot. And uh, and again we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm like it's, it's it's hard not to talk about it, but it's like it's this is it's good stuff. Power love, baby. Listen, you can call it cringe all you want. It's good is the thing about it. That's tr- listen, listen. It's power love. It's there's a reason why that is like a theme and like friggin' everything. It's because it's good as hell. I love to see it, uh, but of course. We have a long, we have a bit of a, we're on the home stretch. We're a bit of a ways until that incredible finale. But of course, next week, we're going to be talking about season two, episode two, launch. An episode I remember having more than a few problems with. Yeah. I think it's the weakest episode of season five by far. And you may, and many may think, well, what about, you know, that, that kind of fillery episode four or episode six, which is like, or episode seven rather, which is like. A Far Cry mission? Or no, it's like episode, um, it's nine. Nine, that's the Far Cry mission, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, and those are, those are weaker than like the big, like, pivotal moments in the series. But I think they all have like a nice place that they occupy. They, they address a specific thing, I think. But I'm looking forward to seeing if we can, if we can uh, talk through some of my issues with launch. Um, yeah, I actually don't remember that much about launch at all. So like, I'm, I'm interested to see like what, what ends up going on there and, and see what, uh, what those problems actually are. Great. Uh, whatever problems i have with the a plot great glimmer and catra scenes in that one um towards the end so you know yeah oh is launch actually is launch the one that has that um where they slide down and, and sit back to back yes it is yeah that but also is launch the one that has the deleted storyboards or like that there's like that animatic of um of a of a scene where glimmer is just kind of walking around in in the velvet glove you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, I don't actually know what you're talking about. That might be from Corridors. That, no, yeah, that that is that is actually Corridors. Uh, before we get to Corridors, I need to find that clip again, because I actually want to, like, talk about that in the episode, because, like, that's... I consider... There's, there's a few excerpts from the core of the show that I generally consider, like canon supplementary like uh like the fic for save the cat oh absolutely and also that specific animatic i consider like canon supplementary as well 
We, uh, I, I actually have not seen this, so I will definitely uh, pick that one up. Um, and of course, we will talk more about Horde Prime in that episode, uh, Corridors. We will try to get our hands on Noel's autobiography um, to, to kind of dig into that. That's going to be a juicy one, that episode. That's that's going to be a juicy one. I'm going to try to... We're going to try to get a hold of that, try and like uh, get through it before we get to the uh, the episode three coming up here so that we can really like really talk about Horde Prime, like just get into that. Because like I think I think getting deep in the weeds on that does require, honestly, a little bit of, of insight from uh, from Noelle's part. Yes, uh, quite a bit. But that's that's a couple of weeks away until then. I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And uh, I guess we're already on the other side of Podcast Spondus. Have you ever come up with a season five outro? Not yet. We'll have to uh, we'll have to think about that one. I guess uh, we'll uh, we'll see you we'll see, we'll see you next time, Space Cowboy. No, I don't think we're gonna be using that one. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs>